Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Although Jesus affirmed that he was a king and affirmed that he was the Messiah, Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't show you this, but my father in heaven. Caiaphas said, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed? He said, it is as you say, but he never said he was. And there's a reason for this. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were constantly trying to undermine him and his authority. Jesus responded as only he could with beautiful humility, wisdom, and yet all the authority of the creator of the universe. He revealed himself as Messiah by what he did and how he loved, not with mere words. How is Jesus revealing himself as Messiah in your life today? Please stay with us. Here's Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 31, and Robert Furrow of Calvary Tucson. Father, thank you for your love, your care in our lives. We thank you that you allow us to participate in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the work of the gospel through the church which you established. The only organization on church you established was the church. And Lord, I want to pray for those that give to this work. I pray for them now that you would meet their needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for this. We ask you to bless our Bible study today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So today we're looking at Matthew 27 and we're looking at Jesus before Pontius Pilate. And I need to bring in during the course of this teaching some of the other gospels because there's a lot that we're told about Jesus before Pilate. And all four of the Gospels record this, and all four of them record different things. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are pretty much the same, but John was written well after them, and he adds in this interview that Pilate had on a semi-private level inside of the Praetorium with Pilate. So we need to talk about that. And today we want to specifically ask the question why we're looking, why was Pilate so set on letting Jesus go. We see that in all of the Gospels. He did not want to give in to the religious leaders. And that might very well be the answer, that it wasn't so much that he wanted to let Jesus go, as he did not want to give in to the religious leaders. This is an important question. It's something we should answer, not because we come up with that question, because I don't know how many times we're reading through Pilate and we go, why, why was Pilate on Jesus' side? I wonder why. We don't do that. But the Bible critics have drawn a line in the sand over Pilate. They use Pilate as a way to say that the Bible is not accurate. They're the ones that chose it, not us. We, we read it and we go, we're focusing on the suffering of Jesus, the fact that he took our place in judgment, which we're going to talk about at the end here. But they decided that Pilate was going to be their place in the New Testament to prove that the Bible wasn't reliable. They did this, first of all, by saying, and I'm talking about the early 1900s and the late 1800s, the school of higher critics and other Bible critics saying that Pilate didn't exist. Even though there are three first century historians. These are guys that lived at some point in their life in the first century. That's zero to 99. That's the first century. Jesus lived from zero to 33 or so. So these guys are con contemporaries per se. They might not have been alive at the exact same time Jesus was alive, but they come back all the way to the first century. 
Josephus and Philo were Jewish historians, and they are both antagonistic towards Pilate. Josephus writes in connection with Jesus. In other words, we wouldn't really know about Pilate at all, Pontius Pilate at all, if it wasn't for this encounter with Jesus. He was a, he was a Roman governor in the region of Judea. Maybe we would have had, maybe they still would have wrote about him, especially Tacticus, Tatticus, who was a Roman historian that wrote about him, alive in the first century as well. And Tatticus writes about some of the other things disconnected with Jesus, but he would not have the, the infamy that he has if it were not for his encounter with the Savior of the world. And um, so the Bible critics used to say that those historical accounts of Pilate have been, have been made up. That the Bible was written, first of all, they made up Pontius Pilate, and then that the historians came in after that, and they took the Bible narrative, and they kind of worked with that to make up Pilate. And here was their reasoning, because there was no hard evidence that Pilate existed. No archaeological evidence. How could you have a governor or a prefect of Judea for a decade and not have any hard evidence that he was ever alive? Well, the problem with an argument from silence, we don't have any evidence, is that sooner or later, evidence could be found. And so in 1961, an archaeologist, a British archaeologist, doing a dig in, in Caesarea Maritime, which is where the headquarters of the Romans were in Judea, flipped over a stone in the theater, the same theater that Paul would appeal to Agrippa, give the gospel to Agrippa, they flipped over a stone and they found a stone that was a dedication stone, a Tiberium. Tiberius was the, was the emperor during the life of Pilate and Jesus. And a Tiberium, they were involved in emperor worship. A Tiberium was a building when they, that they would go to worship Tiberius. They believed that emperors were gods. And so Pilate built Tiberius a Tiberium and he had a dedication plaque. A Tiberium by Pontius Pilate, the prefect of Judea. That's what it says on the plaque. And it dates back to the early first century. And so all of a sudden there was hard evidence. At first they denied, they, they said it was carved, or, or I shouldn't say all of them, but at first some of them said it was carved and planted. That's too convenient, they said. But you can date carvings, you can date when things are etched into rock. And so they dated it and it dated back to the first century. Since then, we have found coins submitted by Pontius Pilate. You could own one of them. They're not that expensive. I looked them up uh, this week. You could order one. You could have it sitting on your desk. One of the coins Pontius Pilate minted. In fact, I'm going to order one. I almost did, and I didn't do it, but I want to order one. And um, also, there was a signet ring found that said for Pilate. is a copper ring dating back, and it was found in Herodian, which is a fortress that Herod built that was close to where, where this is the Herod the Great who built that was close to Jerusalem, fairly close. It's in Bethlehem, actually, around Bethlehem. And it had a copper ring in there that said for Pilate. It was a signet ring. They would put wax on a scroll. The signet ring would say for Pilate. It would be taken to Pilate. So we, there's no doubt now that Pilate exists completely and totally. All right. Uh, although they said it didn't. So then they changed their narrative. Of course. They don't just go, well, we were wrong, Pilate existed. The Bible critics still, they draw a line at Pilate. And they say, listen, Pilate is a Roman governor. He's killing people all the time. The historical accounts tell us that he was brutal, that he was a murderer. He judged people to be crucified all the time. Why would he care about this Jew from Galilee? He wasn't an important Jew. He wasn't from Jerusalem. And so one of the documentaries that I've listened to in the past said, Pilate wouldn't have given five minutes to Jesus, they said. 
That's how they argue. And so you can't trust the reliability of the Bible because they're painting a picture of Pilate that wasn't true. They also said he had a good working relationship. And I'm going to do this. A good working relationship with the Jewish leaders. Well, what does the history say? When Pilate became governor, he was put to be governor by Tiberius. Tiberius had a good friend of his who was a good friend of Pilate. Now, we don't know for sure, but that's probably how Pilate got to be the governor of Judea because he was an equestrian. An equestrian in the Roman scheme of things is not the highest level of soldiers. You can't climb to a high rank as an equestrian, or you, you don't. And so him to be a governor, that's not the highest rank, but to him to be a governor of a region was pretty good, probably because he was friends with the guy who was friends with Tiberius. And so he wants to thank Tiberius for putting him as the governor so he makes standards. Know what a standard is, right? It's a, it's a pole that has a flag on top, has a picture of Tiberius on it. And he brings them into Jerusalem and sets them up around the, the temple. Now, if you have ever been to Athens, you guys been to Athens? There's statues everywhere, right? You ever been to Rome? You ever you've been to, you know, any of the cities around Rome? There's statues everywhere. But you go to Jerusalem and there's none. Because the law said, you shall not make any graven image. Am I back? So when they, things keeps popping in and out. So when they, when, when, when Pilate brought in these uh, standards with this picture on it, they went and protested in, Sarah, uh, in, in uh, Caesarea Maritime. And they, they set up their camp on the Hippodrome, which you can go visit that Hippodrome today. And Pilate came and surrounded them with soldiers. And Pilate said, if you guys don't leave, I'm going to kill you. Cut your throats, literally. And uh, history tells us that they bore their throat to Pilate and said, do it, because we would rather die than have you desecrate Jerusalem. And so he blinked and he went and he removed the standards. He wasn't ready to have one of the first thing he does as a governor of a region to murder the Jewish Sanhedrin. A lot of the Sanhedrin to come down. He wasn't ready to murder Jewish leaders. Then there was another account where they were rebelling against something that he had done and he had actually taken money out of their treasury to build an aqueduct. They once again protested against that. He sent in soldiers dressed in normal clothes at a command. They pulled out clubs and they beat people to death. So this is why they say Pilate wasn't afraid to murder people. He just murdered random people in a crowd who were protesting money being taken from the temple to finish building an aqueduct for Caesarea Maritime. The, the final conflict between the Jewish leaders and him, he wanted to, once again, he wanted to honor Tiberius. And the reason historians think he wanted to at this point, this is near the end, it's 31. Jesus is crucified somewhere around 32 or 33. So it's 31 AD, and his friend to Tiberius dies. And so suddenly, Pilate decides, I'm going to make some shields that honor Tiberius, and I'm going to put them up around the temple. But he's learned his lesson. He doesn't put his face on there. He's like, I'm not going to put his face on there. But in the inscription, it says, to the god Tiberius. And so when they put the shields up, once again, there, there's a tumult. Once again, in Jerusalem now, there's a protest. And this protest goes on for a couple of months, and he didn't know what to do at this point. And finally, he gets, somebody gets word to Tiberius, and Tiberius rebukes him and tells him to stop the nonsense. All Tiberius cares about is the money coming from Judea. He doesn't want some riot going on because he's put up shields 
And so Tiberius literally wrote him and said, take down the shields. And so once again, he blinks. But he doesn't blink because he wanted to like he did in the beginning. He blinks because he's been rebuked by the emperor of the Roman Empire. All right? So he has had this history with the Jewish leaders that is not really good. So when they say in their documentaries, and there's more than one that say this, when they say in their documentaries, Pilate and the religious leaders had a good working relationship, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't see any evidence at all that they had a good working relationship. I see instead they don't like each other. Let's get to our text because I have a lot to cover and I have a very short amount of time and I'm going to get you guys out of here on time, all right? So when we find in verse uh, Matthew 27, verses 1 and 2, that they bring Jesus before Pilate. It says, When morning came, the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. That's the end of the Roman trial, and they bring him to Pontius Pilate. John 18 tells us that they brought him to his praetorium. You've heard of that before, right? So a praetorium was the tent or the living quarters of the highest ranking office, Roman officer that was with a group of, of soldiers. So if you were a centurion and you just camped with your soldiers, your tent would be the praetorium. If another commander came who was higher in rank than you, then that would be the praetorium. The highest ranking officer always had the praetorium. And so it says that Jesus was taken to the praetorium. So we know that he was in Jerusalem and he's the governor. He's the highest ranking Roman official that's there. So he's the governor. And right away in John 18, 28, it says that the Jewish leaders, this is the Sanhedrin. This is the high priest and the chief priest. They bring Jesus with them and they refuse to go into the praetorium. John 18, 28. That couldn't have gone over well with Pilate. They bring a prisoner in and he's like, bring him in. And they're like, no, we won't go in. Why not? Because it would defile them so that they could not take part. They would be unclean and they couldn't take part in the Passover happening the next day. What a horrible thing for them to be. They're, they're breaking at least two commandments. Bearing false witness, which I think is one of the worst of the commandments that you can break, that you slander someone, you're treating someone poorly. And maybe the worst one you can break, murder. They're trying to get Jesus murdered. So they're like, we're trying to break the commandment of murder and false testimony or bearing false witness, but we don't want to go into your house because we'll be defiled. I don't think that Pilate could have taken that well. And so Luke 23, 4 says, Pilate came out of the praetorium and asked what the charges were that were brought against the prisoner. John 18, we're told that they said this, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have brought him to you. I think that Caiaphas thought, I'm here, the chief priests are here, the Sanhedrin is here, we're, we're the most powerful group of people in, in all of Israel, and if we didn't bring in an evil, if he was an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to you, so just crucify him. If, if there's a prosecutor here, maybe there is, what would happen to you if you took that argument to a judge? Judge, if they weren't, if they weren't a bad person, I, I wouldn't bring them to you. And so the same thing was true with, with, with Pilate. And so Pilate pushed them to give accusations. So here was their accusations. There were three of them. Number one, he is perverting the nation. What they meant by that is that he was destroying the nation of Israel. Israel was cooking along well, and he was stirring things up. Number two, he was forbidding to pay taxes, which was an outright lie. They had tried to trap him and get him to say something like that, 
But Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and render to God the things that are God's. Number three, they said, he says he's the Christ, the Messiah, and a king. That's a lie. Although Jesus affirmed that he was a king and affirmed that he was the Messiah, Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't show you this, but my father in heaven. Caiaphas said, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed? He said, it is as you say, but he never said he was. And there's a reason for this. Because if Jesus stood up and said, I am the Messiah, I am God in the flesh, people wouldn't believe him. Why? Because crazy people say things like that. At best, you have delusions of grandeur. At best. At worst, you're crazy. So you have to do what you do and let other people recognize it, and then you can affirm it. And that's what Jesus did in his ministry. He affirmed it to the woman at the well. He affirmed it to the man who was blind, who was healed and sent to the pool of Siloam. He affirmed it to his disciples. He affirmed it to the council. He affirmed that he was the Messiah, but he never said, I'm the king. All right? So these are all false. So then we find in verse, we jump ahead here. Let me see here. Um, Pilate comes out to greet them. They make their accusations. And the main accusation is he's king of the Jews. That's the one that Pilate picks up on. All those accusations, verse 11, we jump ahead of Judas, okay? Because that's the next few verses. We go to verse 11. Now, Jesus stood before the governor. The governor asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? Out of all these accusations, the only one he cared about was king of the Jews. Because that would be sedition. That would be treason. I'm the king. Jesus said to him, it is as you say. So Jesus is out in front of them. He's been accused, all these things. And now he tells Pilate, yeah, I'm, I'm the king. I, I, it's as you say. And while he was being accused, the chief priest and the elders, he answered nothing. Now note that Jesus was silent during the accusations. He answered questions from Pilate and from the high priest, but he was silent during accusations. So Pilate goes back into the praetorium and he brings Jesus in with him. And if you turn to John 18, verse 33, we get the conversation that he had with Jesus inside of the praetorium. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again. This is John 18, 33. Called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? He asked him now in semi-private what he asked him out in front of everybody. Jesus answered and said, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you concerning me? Pilate said, am I a Jew? Your own nation and your chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Now, you've got to understand that before the Romans, the Greeks controlled the world. And Greek philosophy had beaten the idea of truth to death. You know, today there's the argument of whether or not truth is subjective or objective. It's something people like to talk about in, in universities, the University of Arizona. They like to talk about it. Well, truth is subjective, meaning you have your own truth. Well, in reality, truth is not subjective, it's objective. There's the old joke that if a professor tells you that truth is subjective, punch him in the face and see what he says. That's not saying do it, it's a joke, okay? And so when the professor says, 
I'm calling the police because that was wrong. You can go, truth is, is subjective. It's my truth. My truth is it's not wrong. That this argument has been around since the Greek philosophers well before Pilate. So when Jesus says, I came to bear witness to the truth, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, Pilate blew it off. Pilate said, what is truth? Okay, this has been an argument forever. What is truth? And as he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. This is the first of three times he says, I find no fault in him. And so again, he questions now the accusers. And in Matthew 27, 13, Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify of you against me? He's taking Jesus back out again now. And they've accused him. He says, don't you hear these accusations? But he answered him not a word. So the governor marveled greatly. Now we get another reason why Pilate might have wanted to let him go. He marveled greatly because Jesus said nothing when he was going to be crucified. I wonder if ever Pilate had anybody that kept silent when they were on trial and could be crucified. Romans crucified all kinds of people. They crucified them regularly. In 70 AD, when they took Jerusalem, it was said that they crucified so many people, they ran out of wood, Josephus tells us. And, and anybody being crucified saw it, knew what it was, would just go take any advantage to try to get set free. And he marvels at Jesus. And then he turns around and he starts to question the accusers again. Why have you brought him here? And what's the real reason? And they say, well, he came from Galilee. And as soon as Pilate hears Galilee, he goes, well, that's Herod Antipas's region. Herod Antipas is the one who killed John the Baptist. And he's in town. He's just up the street. So he sends Jesus from his praetorium to Herod. Now, I won't take time to read all of that today. But just to tell you this, Jesus would have nothing to say to Herod. The Bible tells us Herod was happy to see him because he wanted him to do a miracle. He was like, come on in, do a miracle for me. Like he was a magician. Look at this coin, you know. And Jesus was just silent before him. And I think and what we'll talk in the ending in our application, we'll talk about why Jesus was silent before, before Herod. I think one of the reasons is this is the guy that murdered John the Baptist. And Jesus just won't say a word to him. And so Herod's men beat him and they put a royal robe on his back and send him back to Pilate. And when Pilate sees him with the royal robe, he gets a kick out of it. And the Bible says that from that day on, Pilate and Herod were friends. Before that, they had enmity between them. But from that day forward, they were friends. So Pilate thought, that's good. This guy says, you know, he's king of the Jew. And he sends him back with this purple robe on him. So now he figures, I need to do something. I want to get rid of this guy. And there's this custom, verse uh, 15. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude a prisoner who they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. We're told he was a murderer and he'd been involved in a rebellion. We're also told he was a thief. And at that time, the notorious prisoner called Barabbas, meaning everybody knew about him, right? Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? The oldest manuscripts put his name as Jesus Barabbas. Jesus was not an uncommon name in their day. The name is the Hebrew name Joshua. There are a lot of guys named Joshua. This is Joshua Barabbas, and Jesus literally took the place on the cross of Barabbas. Joshua took the place of Joshua. The sinless Joshua took the place of the sinful Joshua. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.